Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. All right, welcome to another edition of the Dooley Noted. Hey, I almost got that out. Dooley Noted podcast at Gatorsports.com. You guys can edit that out later. (laughs) Uh, We um, have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about some of the other games in college football, of course, and uh, three things, some of the spreads, blah, blah, blah. Um, it feels like this season is going by fast and slow at the same time. Is that possible? Like the weeks go by fast, but then you go, it's only week seven. But the, the week from Monday to Friday, I, I, I think it's because when, you tra- when you're traveling a lot of times, we'll head up there, Robbie and I, and we'll be bringing you uh, coverage from that game. I think Graham Hall's also going. So uh, we'll be bringing you coverage from there and uh, there'll be a Facebook Live that we'll do at some point after the game so make sure you look for that and of course you can read all the stories at Gatorsports.com next week Podcast Tuesday to wrap up the game, no Podcast Thursday because the Gators are open off by whatever you want to call it and then we'll be back to two a week the following week Uh, All right, so South Carolina is it's kind of a, a Weird place to be going again because they've never become a rival. Here's the funny thing. A lot of schools either are your rivals for a long time or become rivals. Um, not all of them, you know, it's it goes way back. Like like Florida, Tennessee only became a rivalry in the 90s. I, th- I don't think LSU became a real rivalry until like four years ago. Um, they obviously played against each other. Florida South Carolina has been this weird rivalry. It's just like they play every other every year. They play every other year at home, but the coach used to be a Gator. <laughs> it always. It feels like since the beginning of time. Obviously, it's not that way. But between Spurs twelve years and Muschamp now, I uh, believe he's in his uh, fourth year, right? I believe. Um, and uh, it's just it's just strange, and the fact that that Spurrier beat Muschamp when Muschamp was at Florida and that was the last straw as far as Muschamp's surviving at Florida and everybody knew it at the time. I wrote it at the time. He was done. Uh, I know that Will in the locker room talking to people close to him knew he was done. That loss was just the, the last straw and he pretty much had to run the table at that point of the season. And Spur- so so the loss was inflicted by Spurrier in a game that that Muschamp totally blew. And then Spurrier is a the guy who recommended him for the job. 
And that's what Spurrier talked to uh, Ray Tanner and and put in a, a very heavy endorsement. You know who else did Charlie Strong? Who because they wanted to hire Charlie. So it's all so incestual, <laughs> or incestuous, I guess was the word. It's just kind of strange, uh, but never a big rivalry. There have been uh, some big games. The Lido Shepard punt return, Lou Holtz mouth agape. That was a big game. Uh, certainly the year Spurrier came in here and won the East was a huge game, but never a sense of real rivalry. Um, I'm not really sure why. Again, we talk about Auburn being the closest, but it's second place is Columbia. To uh, Those are the only trips we drive to um, because they're just so close. It's like five and a half hours away. Uh, so this, look, this is going to be a tough game. We all know it. It's, it's a team that maybe a week ago you would have said, I, well, Florida will beat South Carolina up there. And now you go, I don't know they can. We don't know what's gonna, going on with the quarterback situation. We'll find out Saturday. Um, clearly, Holinsky is a, a good quarterback. He's sown for over 1,000 yards already after taking over for Bentley. And he's got a good arm. Um, not very mobile already. He's got a knee injury. They, they say he hasn't been cleared yet. Uh, but I think that means – Basically, that they are, um, you know, he's, he's got to be able to do some things without any pain or without any chance of hurt, re-injuring it, hurting it worse is usually what a – well, player coaches always say this. They always go, well, the doctors told us he couldn't hurt it any worse, so we went ahead and played him. And that's, that's what they're probably looking for. Um, but I'm sure they don't want Florida to know because you've got two totally different quarterbacks. You've got one immobile statue anyway – even more of a statue when, when he's when he's hurt. He's not going to scramble around like Joe Burrow did. He's not going to be as accurate as Joe Burrow was, but let's, I don't think we can say those words out loud anymore. So you've either got that or you've got Joyner, who, as you guys saw, isn't a quarterback. He's a wide receiver. He's running around. Didn't throw the ball very well. Uh, they didn't score a point with him in there. Didn't score a point in second half. Didn't score a point in um, – over the first overtime and got a field goal in the second overtime. So, but obviously, I, I think I said this on our Swampcast, which will be up at GatorSports.com as well, that he's kind of Emory Jones light. Like he he's a he's an athletic kid. He can run around, but he's not as big, not as strong. Certainly not a quarterback. Certainly not a guy who has a, a great arm. So I'm sure Will hopes Florida's like, well, either we're going to have to do this or we're going to have to do this and try to get in the head of Todd Grantham whose head's a little cluttered already with slant patterns um, that LSU ran him to death with. So we'll see. We'll see. This is what I wrote for Saturday. Um, Not to give too much away, but, hey, we're going to find out about this team Saturday. What what do they got? How much do they want it? That's the bottom line. Um, we'll, We'll find out more about them. We found out a lot about them at LSU. We found out they're maybe a little bit better than we thought. But if you do that, and we talked about this Tuesday, and then turn around and lose this game, you're probably just exactly what maybe some of us negative Nellies thought. Sorry, but sometimes I'm pessimistic. As I said before on this podcast, I've been scarred by Lindsey Scott, Frankie Sanders, Sean Alexander, a myriad of people. Heck, I can go back to... uh, Freaking uh, Appleby to Washington, okay? Scar- you talking about scarring. There's a lot of scar tissue there. You know what else there is? There's a break right here. We've got to take one, 
and we will come back. And uh, also on the show, by the way, today, we'll bring him in a little bit later. Andy Staples from The Athletic, good buddy of mine, and of course, one of the great writers, and uh, uh, writes for The Athletic, but he is a great writer and also makes you think a lot and also does a lot of, lot of really good radio stuff. So we'll talk to him, but first we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about this Florida-South Carolina game here at the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better, especially in helping build a better financial future for our members. So we've reviewed our offerings from the ground up. We've lowered or eliminated over half our fees and enhanced our already competitive rates. Saving members more than a million dollars this year, in addition to the millions we save them every year. If you believe that saving money is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Tailgates and Gator Winds call for the best cigars available from around the world. Pick your sticks today and save at the Florida family-owned site, thehumidor.com. Get free shipping on every cigar order. Find boxes from the biggest brands, samplers hand-selected by top tobacconists, or pick your own single sticks. Thehumidor.com, going the distance for fine cigars. Yeah, so um, I guess they're giving readers p- to all the um, students, you know, which is a kind of a funny idea, and it'll get it's getting a lot of attention. But at the end of the day, do you really think those guys are going to wear those readers? They're going to wear them for a little while until the TV cameras get them, and they're going to take them off because they're uncomfortable, especially if you're not used to wearing glasses. But uh, it's it's kind of mocking yet loving. Uh, to Will Muschamp, who's had to start wearing them, like Jimbo Fisher did, does or did. I know he did. I don't know if he – I think he still does. I don't I haven't really seen a lot of A&M games this year. Um, and, you know, obviously getting older, he's having problems. I, me, I'm full-blown glasses with progressives. So and that's what he needs to get. He would he would look less scholarly if he had the – like just regular glasses with progressives. You could put blanks in the top, whatever. But anyway – so that's kind of a funny thing, um, and it's good that, that people love Muschamp up there. They don't love, love him. I mean, they're dating still. They're not getting married, okay? But they're dating, and they had a really good date last week. It went really well. I think Lobster was involved. So as you heard Josh Kendall, if you listen to the, the podcast on Tuesday – say that basically he thought well Muschamp probably extended his contract by a year in terms of when how they feel about him now losing to Florida is not going to hurt him either it's going to be the games the other games they've got they get very difficult schedule but I know you're not really worried about South Carolina and you shouldn't be you know what you should be worried about Florida one of the great cliches in in, in coaching and and sometimes cliches drive me crazy but the funny thing about cliches is that the more, the low, older you get, <laughs> the more you're around sports, the more you understand they're right. That these cliches are meaningful, even if you're tired of hearing them. But one of the cliches that 
coaches say all the time is it's not about them, it's about us. Jeremy Pruitt saying it at Tennessee. I'm sure Jim Harbaugh is saying it going to Happy Valley. And Florida is saying it going up to South Carolina. It's not about them, it's about us. Yes, study film, see what they're doing, see what their tendencies are, know what we're playing on defense, practice your butt off, practice harder than you practiced last week, get better this week. It's about you guys. It's an accurate cliche. Because all you can really control is, is yourselves and your ability to respond to what they're doing. You can't make them run the ball if you don't want them, if they don't want to run the ball. So it is an accurate cliche, and, and I'm curious about this Florida team. I don't – I mean, I think there was – there has been a lot of love for these Gators since that game against LSU, nationally, locally, in my house. <laughs> I mean, there has – people have said, you know, look, we were really happy with the way they played. They were, they were right in the game. They could, have, they could have won that game. I didn't think they had any chance, that kind of thing. Because of the environment, I think, as much as anything. If you were there, it was really overwhelming. But um, so people are pretty happy even with after this loss. And they understand, just as Will does, and I mean, I'm sorry, just as Dan does and Will too, don't forget, they still mathematically have a chance of winning the East. I don't think they will, but they have a chance. How important this game is. It's a division game. And it's funny how you um, – I think that's more of a an Eastern Division thing than it is a Western Division thing. Like, you don't hear coaches in the West go, well, you know, it's a division game and so it's more important. They're like, well, we know who's going to win it or we, we think we do. And it, there's another team that might have a chance, but they're the only ones that do. So division games are just conference games trying to get bowl eligible for a lot of teams. But in the East – you hear it a lot. You hear it from Georgia. You hear it from South Carolina. You hear it from Florida. You hear it from Missouri. Uh, you hear it from Kentucky. Maybe not so much this year, but it's out there. Division games matter. They're mean. They're more meaningful than the cross division games. Usually, you know, in the cross division games, you get a bigger game a lot of the time because it's Alabama or it's LSU or it's Auburn or it's Texas A and M coming in. But in actuality, those games mean more. Remember, Steve Spurrier wanted, or at least pushed for, only the the, the inner inner division games counting. The games you played within the division were the only ones that should count. So if you go six and zero and and go lose to the West, you won your division. You had the best record in the division, right? And it does. There's makes some sense, to be honest with you. I, I think it does. But that never, never really caught fire. Uh, that was as a good idea. So, look, this is a, a good, solid South Carolina team. It's a, it's a typical Will Muschamp team, line of scrimmage team. Play doesn't play great offense. We'll never know if it could have been a great offensive team if Bentley had not gotten hurt, but he did. Their losses aren't bad losses. Obviously, Missouri. Ranked now, Alabama. I think they're ranked. I, I have to check. And then um, the lo- but the 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 loss to uh, North Carolina, I think, looks better than it used to. So it's a good, solid football team. You know uh, that front is really tough. 
with Wanham, three and a half sacks. Kinlaw with five sacks. They are plus two in the turnover margin. But they'd only had 12 turnovers gained all year until the Georgia game. They got four in that game, and that was the difference in the game. So they really don't get a lot of turnovers. In fact, uh, Israel, and I'm going to screw his name up, but I'm going to try it, Mukwamu, hopefully I get that right, who had three picks in the game, now has four in the year. But you think about he had three picks in that one game, one for a touchdown. He, But he's also third on the team in tackle, so he's an active guy. You got to account for him. Their running game is okay, not great. Rico Dowdle, 449 yards rushing. Tavion Feaster, who of course came over from Clemson, a transfer, 317. You know they're good. They're they're not great. They're a good, solid football team, like you would expect from Will Muschamp. That'll probably win seven or eight games. It's what he does, right? Now one of those seven or eight might be tomorrow or Saturday. What day is today? It might be Saturday. They're good enough to beat Florida. I always, there aren't too many teams that aren't good enough to beat you on a bad day. On a bad, if you have a bad day, they're 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 solid enough to beat you. If you turn it over, if you give up a bunch of sacks because you miss assignments, DBs miss assignments and let guys run free, and this time they don't overthrow them. You know, I don't think it's like LSU gave anybody a blueprint to how to beat Florida. At all. Here's the way you beat Florida. Have their defensive ends not play. <laughs> That's the first part. And then have the, a quarterback go off and have the game of his life. And his receivers break a bunch of tackles. Okay? That's how you beat Florida. That's – it's just, you know, I don't think – I think LSU is a uniquely good team this year. That's why I have them number one. That's just what they are. I think they're better than Bama. Doesn't mean they'll beat Bama. We'll see what Andy Staples thinks about it. We'll bring him on to the show. Talk to him from The Athletic, of course, and we'll talk a lot of college football, different things with him. Look forward to that. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast here at Gatorsports.com. It's a great pleasure to bring in star of print and radio, and I mean a real star in radio, my friend Andy Staples from The Athletic, who does a great job. I listen to him all the time on different stations, but uh, it, 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 it certainly gives you a lot, of, a lot of work to do, but there's been a lot to talk about lately. There's a ton to talk about. and I mean, shoot, just in the SEC, there's a ton to talk about, and then you, you've got what Ryan Day is doing at Ohio State and Justin Fields and, and uh, Michigan, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm not not very optimistic about what they're going to do at Penn State this week. And I think if if they get shelled by Penn State, you're going to see you know, the, the Harbaugh bandwagon be completely empty at that <laughs> point. You got Oregon and Washington out and out on the West Coast. It's going to be a, a fun. On games, there's an enormous amount to talk about right now. Yeah, it's funny because I was looking at some of the spreads, and there are some really ugly spreads. But on every one, you have to stop and go, well, I think South Carolina was a 24-point underdog, so uh, anything can happen. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that was the first kind of we-don't-know-anything result of the season. (laughs) And I always like when that first one happens because it reminds us that we can just drop the certainty here. 
because there are going to be more of those. There's always a few of those every year, and no one saw that one coming. You know, it's a sleepy noon Eastern game. Everybody turns on their TV, and by half time they're like, oh, oh, man, this is a game. And you thought, okay, South Carolina's quarterback's been knocked out. Georgia, is, at some point, is going to step on the gas and pull away, and they just never do. And all those criticisms of Kirby Smart about his late-game decision-making really came back and, and kind of bit them in a big way. And, I, look, Georgia is fine if they can correct the issues that were exposed by South Carolina. But the question is, can they? Yeah. Because you know, if you look at it down the road, Georgia and Florida are going to play in Jacksonville. The winner of that game is in, is in pole position in the East. But Missouri's hanging around, and we don't know what's going to happen with Missouri's NCAA appeal. But Georgia still has to play Auburn. You know, if Georgia were to beat Florida in the cocktail party, would they beat Auburn? Would they be able to, to win the SEC championship game playing the way they, they have been? They, they've got to fix their issues. And, and I'll say that this I thought at the beginning of the season that, that Georgia, because of the talent level, wouldn't have much problem with Florida and Jacksonville. Now I'm almost leaning toward picking Florida in that game just because, one, Florida's talent has proven to be better than, than we thought, and two, Georgia just, if they don't get that stuff straightened out, I'll take Dan Mullen. I'll take Dan Mullen as a coach over Kirby Smart at this point. Yeah, I think I think most people would. But I want to talk about Florida, but first, you said something that I, I hadn't thought about. If Missouri does win the East, they still get to play in the championship game, right? They just can't go to a bowl no. if they don't win their appeal. They have a postseason ban. So, oh, so that counts the championship, championship game is considered postseason, yeah. So I, I would think they would not be playing in the, in the championship game. So now we'll see what the, what the NCAA does on that. I, I think common sense would tell you, you look at a very similar case against Notre Dame and a very similar case against Mississippi State where neither one of them got a postseason ban, and you, you say, oh, these are pretty easy things were, let's, take away this postseason ban and let you guys play in, a, you know, play in the postseason. But the NCAA and common sense don't often <laughs> wind up in the same sentence, so I don't know that that's going to happen. Plus, you know, we, we don't know what, what Missouri's going to be. They obviously still have to play Florida and Georgia, so we, we don't know where they're at, but they, they've looked really good. They, they had that crazy loss to Wyoming in the, in the season opener, but they've been kind of a buzzsaw ever since. Yeah, they and they only have a two-game season. They got, they got Georgia and Florida back-to-back. Uh, they get Ole Miss and uh, Arkansas from the other side. That's a real level playing field there. But uh, quite a draw there. <laughs> as, as Florida plays LSU, yeah, in Auburn, Auburn exactly. But uh, and Georgia plays L- plays Auburn and Texas A and M exactly. Well, but Andy, you've been around here a long time. Obviously, you played at Florida, and um, I've been around here a lot longer because I've been around longer than everybody. But. Um, I, I was writing this in my column for Saturday. I don't know if I've ever seen a week where Florida lost a game and people were happier and people were more forgiving and people were more, hey, we're going to be all right. And I usually, you know, you get the angry calls and the angry emails, and there's been a few questioning uh, coaching sometimes, but I don't know that I've ever seen Florida fans not upset about a loss. I I've got a couple of theories on this. One, I think people realize that Florida 
sort of outplayed expectations by beating Auburn because Auburn came in and their defensive line exploited Florida's offensive line exactly as we all thought it would, but that, that didn't cost Florida the game. They somehow managed to persevere through that and win that game. So I think they were playing with house money going to Baton Rouge. And I think the other piece of it is people are looking at this LSU team and going, you know what? We always wondered what LSU would look like with a dynamic offense, and now we see it. It's pretty awesome. So maybe they just got beat by a, a really, really good team at home in the best environment in college football. It, it, you know, that's, it's hard to win in that situation. And Florida, I think, acquitted itself very well. You know, that, that probably should have been a one-touchdown game. Florida probably should have scored near the end. And I, I don't think if you, if you move that game to a neutral site, like, I don't know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, where you might see it again. Yeah. That, it, it feels pretty even. Yeah, I know. I, I think you'd like Florida's chances only because they would have figured out possibly what they did wrong in that game. But, again, you you still well, need and, to... And, and, and maybe you have Bernard Zuniga healthy. Yeah. Because right. I think that made a big difference. I, it, when You know, a lot of Florida's defensive scheme and, and the fact that, you know, you're not seeing super exotic stuff from Todd Grantham this year because Florida is so talented on defense, especially up front. They can get pretty much whatever they want to when those are played. Yeah. And without them at the end of the game, it was a little bit more difficult, probably messed with their game plan quite a bit because their game plan was to have both those two guys in there. So if you have those two guys healthy against LSU – I think the, the way that game goes down the stretch changes a little bit. So I do feel like if, if they see each other again and, and Florida is healthy, healthy defensively, that it's a pretty even matchup. It's going to be interesting to see because when you, when you look at all the unbeatens, I, I feel like the pool is going to come from four of the unbeatens. I, it doesn't mean a one-loss team can't get in and very well could that a team that already has one loss. For example, Florida wins out, Georgia wins out, but I wonder if Notre Dame can win out and get into the playoffs. No, they can't. The, the, the deal they made was you don't have to join a conference, but you you usually got to be 12-0 if you want to make the playoff. And the only way they were going to make the playoff at 11-1 this year, you could have like 2007-style chaos. Maybe that would do it. But barring that, they needed Georgia to go 13-0 and be the clear number one seed, and that's not going to happen. That's what I thought. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it's going to be really interesting also, obviously, down the road to see what happens with the Pac-12 because I haven't totally counted them out, but uh, with everybody with at least one loss, there, there at least are some great games coming up. Yeah, I, I pretty much counted out the Pac-12 because, you know, you look at Oregon is always going to be viewed through an Auburn-shaped lens. Yep. And – the better Auburn does, the more likely Auburn would get picked in that situation. The worse Auburn does, the worse it makes Oregon's loss look. So, and, and the other problem that, that in the Pac-12 have, the Pac-12 does not have a signature win. So, a signature non-conference win. The best non-conference win the Pac-12 has this year is Arizona State beating Michigan State in East Lansing in a 10-7 game that set football back like 100 years. So, uh, there, there's not there's not that basis for a comparison. Like if USC had gone and beaten Notre Dame or Stanford had beaten Northwestern or Stanford had beaten UCF, some of that stuff would, would, would have helped. But Stanford lost to Northwestern. 
Right. I'm sorry. Stanford did beat Stanford did beat Northwestern. My bad. Uh, but Stanford got shelled by UCF. You know. Yeah. When you um, competitive. Right. And then and then you look at uh, you know Arizona lost to Hawaii and uh, USC lost to BYU and it's just it doesn't help them. They don't have that signature win. So Oregon beating up on the other teams in the Pac-12. It doesn't help them as much as, say, winning games in the SEC helps, uh, whoever that is, or winning games in the Big Ten helps Wisconsin or Ohio State. You know, that, that, that's the issue that they've got. So it does feel like it, it'll be Clemson from the ACC as long as they're undefeated. And if they lose, they're out. I don't, I don't think a one-loss Clemson can get no. in right now. Um, Oklahoma in the Big 12, I actually think a, a one-loss Big 12 champ's probably fine because the Big 12 is a, is a pretty good league this year and did acquit itself well in the non-conference. So, you know, at the Big 10, that feels like a pretty competitive league. You know, you've got, Oklahoma, you've got Ohio State, you've got Penn State, you've got Wisconsin. They're all pretty good. So I, I, think, I think that the idea of the Pac-12 sneaking in is, is fading very fast, barring some crazy stuff happening in the other leagues. But I do think, you know, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC should feel very comfortable about the, the chances of getting a team in. And the SEC can think about the two-team situation. I think they would need the Big 12 to cannibalize itself a little bit or the Big 10 to, to cannibalize or, or Clemson to lose. But I do think it's possible. Uh, I think it's possible, say, the loser of the Alabama-LSU game, if they're 11-1 and and they've dominated everybody else. I think there's a chance they get in. And we have plenty of time for more cannibalization as we uh, only halfway through the season. I got one quick question for you. There was a decibel meter uh, reading, as you know, at Baton Rouge, or, and they show it on the on the big screen, and it get up over a hundred. I'm going to give you the decibel one to a hundred because um, I got that in my brain. I still can't hear. Chances Alabama and Clemson play for the title this year. Ooh, oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, because they could see each other in a semi. I, I still think they both make the playoffs. Because, uh, you know, as good as LSU has been, I'm still in I'll believe it when I see it mode. They haven't been Alabama since 2011. I, I feel like a, a, you're still going out on a limb if you predict LSU to beat Alabama. Yep. Just because you know, it's, it's been so long. I need to see it. And I don't see anybody beating Clemson this year. I think, you know, South Carolina beat Georgia, so maybe they jump up and beat them at the end of the season. But it doesn't look like anybody else on that schedule is going to challenge them. So I'd say I'd say it's a 40% chance. Boy, my number was going to be 38, so great minds think alike. Um, there you go. <laughs> Andy Staples from The Athletic, we really appreciate his time. We'll take a break for a commercial. We'll come back with more on the Duly Noted podcast at Gatorsports.com. I'm your host, Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com, and this is the Duly Noted podcast presented by Zaxby's. Okay, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Appreciate Andy Staples for being on. Again, don't forget, next week, Tuesday, I'll have a wrap-up of what happened with Florida, South Carolina. Uh, one stat I didn't mention earlier, I looked this one up because I had a feeling. South Carolina is 112th in third-down efficiency. Now, last week, it didn't matter. They held LSU to 25% on, on third down. Trouble was, there was only four third downs, two in each half. So the stat, the, the percentage didn't matter. 
but you need in this game to get them into a bunch of third downs. They haven't been very successful converting them. Get them into a bunch of third. The third long would be the ideal, but third downs very important, I think, in this game. And I think it, it, it you know, it'd be nice if special teams kind of did something. They haven't done anything wrong, but they've almost. And, and again, I think Townsend and. McPherson are, are really good kickers, and obviously McPherson's been asked to kick it out of the end zone as much as possible and did a great job of that. In, uh, in Baton Rouge, and he has pretty much all year, they only returned one kick and only got it out to the 22 or 23. So good job by Florida there. But there's been nothing spectacular. A blocked punt, a, uh, a run back, a, almost every punt is fair caught, and that's their plan. And I got no problem with that when you got a guy like Freddie Swain who can catch it. And a lot of kicks have been kind of short and high. It's okay, but it'd just be nice to see. Nice to see a kickoff return or something. Haven't seen a whole lot from the special teams, uh, but at least they're not a detriment. They're not hurting the team, which they did for three years under a previous regime. All right, let's talk about some spreads. We need some spreads music. Can Can we do that? Spreads music? Freedom. All right, here's what is interesting about this weekend. It is a really interesting weekend about in terms of some big games. Nothing overwhelming. There's like a, not an overwhelming big game like must-see TV. But there are some interesting games that I think all of us are, are going to watch and, and looking forward to watching, especially you know at night because we'll be done. Um, but the, the negative about this weekend is that there are so many gigantic spreads. I mentioned earlier, even when you see a 24-point spread or a 19-point spread, you go, Georgia-South Carolina. I can't, I can't just look away from that. Um, for example, Tennessee, 34-and-a-half against Alabama at Alabama. Now, I think Alabama is going to obviously roll over Tennessee, but Tennessee, I got a feeling, might like keep it close early. I don't think that's an unreasonable uh, take on Tennessee. Georgia Tech, 18-point underdog against Miami. Miami's not even that good. But Miami, it's it's funny. They're going to end up with a really good record. I don't know what it's going to be. Like eight, nine, eight, nine and three, maybe? Because of what they have left on their schedule, starting with this game. Georgia Tech's awful, but I would stay away from that. Clemson's 24 over Louisville at Louisville. Louisville's going to be – they're going to be lit – and uh, I think it'll be a little bit of a letdown after that FSU game. FSU was a big deal for them, as bad as FSU is. They still were a big deal for them. But I think um, I don't, you know, I think Louisville's going to play them tough, tougher than 24. But uh, just to go through some of these spreads, because they're, they're so high, Auburn's 18 over Arkansas. Stay away from that. I don't care if they're playing in uh, Frank Broyles' backyard. Uh, LSU 18.5 over Mississippi State at Mississippi State. Uh, the Cowbells are going to be clanking. We'll see what happens there, but I don't think Mississippi State's any good. Kentucky 25 over Georgia. Again, it's betwixt the hedges. Hmm. Tempting. But the problem for Kentucky is they don't have a quarterback. They're playing their wide receiver quarterback. I know he was a high school quarterback. But he's not a quarterback now. They were effective. They were able to beat Arkansas, but Arkansas stinks on ice. So 
I'm not uh, optimistic about them covering that. And Missouri, 21-point favorite at Vanderbilt. Or, of course, there'll be more Missouri fans. Although, this may be the one game where there are more Vandy fans. There could be like an 8,000 to 2,000 margin. Like, I can't imagine more than 10,000 people going to that game. Or is this another example of why everybody loves playing at Vanderbilt? Because you get to go to Nashville and have a great time. And you know, go come go to the game. You get prime seats wherever you want to sit in the stadium. You had a great time in Nashville. And you're probably going to win. It's the, it's the best trip there is. It's wonderful. So maybe they still will have more fans at Vandy. Be interesting. There are a couple of tight lines, as I like to call them. Oregon minus three at Washington. I had to pick that game. It was impossible. I have no idea. I think Washington's pretty good. I think Oregon's defense is really good. Sometimes I'm surprised the quarterback hasn't been better than, than he's been this year. But um, I have no idea who's going to win that game. I had to pick one team, and I I picked I picked that team. You got to read the Gainesville Sun Friday's paper. Be there, Aloha. A um, and M is six and a half over at Ole Miss, which seems like a small line because Ole Miss isn't real good, but they seem to have found this two quarterback system that's working for them. Um, Plum, it was a Plumley and Corral. Of course, the one-time Florida commit Corral. Seems like a low line, but A&M hadn't, hadn't done anything. I still don't get why people are voting. People are still voting for them. They're, they haven't done anything. I'm not saying they're a bad team. They, we, everybody knew they had a brutal schedule, and guess what? They had a brutal schedule. And guess what? They're not na- navigating it very well. That's no reason to rank them. Uh, the big game, of course, Florida State Seminoles are at Wake Forest. Whoa, Nelly. The Knolls are getting two points up there in Winston-Salem. I once described Winston-Salem. Now, this is in 2000, so it may not be fair. 19 years later. <clears throat> but I once described uh, Winston-Salem as a town that looked like it got hit by a neutron bomb because all the buildings were up. But I, I could never find any people. Everything closed early. I'm sure it's gotten a lot better. Maybe not. Anyway, we'll see what Wake Forest, what our de- Demon Deacons can do in that game. And then the, a, a little bit of a surprise. I know they've been talking about this on TV. Michigan, nine-point underdog. Depends on where you get it. Nine, nine eight and a half against Penn State. Penn State, that crowd is going to be unbelievable. Uh, Urban Meyer once told me that you know, it was one of the toughest crowds he's ever played in front of uh, when they went there and won that game a few years ago. You know, I think what did he say? It was the only one that was tougher may have been LSU. I, I can't remember the quote, but um, so it's going to be everybody's going to be excited. It's a whiteout. That's usually a, they usually play pretty well during those. They're kind of an under under the radar team, even though they're undefeated and ranked the top ten. Penn State is, you know, Michigan. We don't think it's very good on offense. It's going to be an interesting game, I think. I would never, on a game that big, on the primetime game, I would never give nine points to anybody. But I certainly wouldn't take Michigan either. All right, let's go to three things. It's time for three things. Number one, uh, Kirby Hocutt, who is the uh, athletic director at Texas Tech, was fined twenty-five grand 
which is actually a pretty decent fine if you're – I think he's making a little over a million, like a million five maybe. That's still a significant chunk. They're trying to raise money to help him pay for it. Uh, some of the boosters are because they realize what a ridiculous fine it is. He was fine because the Big 12 admitted to an uh, error um, by the referees. They made a the, – the kind of error that's really frustrating because – it's one thing to make an error because you didn't see a hold or you thought you saw hands to the face and and it wasn't hands to the face, okay? I, I don't even want to get into that whole thing. I, I got a whole dissertation on that. But that's one thing. But when you don't know the rule, that's that's bad. And so they didn't know the rule and neither did the, and nobody knew the rule apparently on the field. And so it, it might have cost them a game. Maybe, maybe it didn't, but it certainly was a big factor in overtime. So – the Big 12 tells them we screwed up. He goes. He tells the media. They said they screwed up. They get mad. They don't. Want, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to tell them. We can't have transparency in this world. It's not allowed. We don't. We don't want anybody to know why a guy misses helmet to helmet. Why a guy didn't call holding in a situation where the um, a player's pants were removed. We don't want anybody to know what happened. That guy might actually be penalized and miss a bowl assignment, right? You don't get a bowl assignment, which is certainly one of the perks for coaches, even the ones who go to Shreveport. You get extra money, nice hotel, treat it well, police escort, la, la, la. Maybe you don't get a bowl assignment. They're not going to tell anybody about it. It's secret. Silly. Number two. Bradley Beal, two years, $72 million. For, it's a, I am so happy for him. He was such a good guy when he was here. The real shame of it is we only got a year of him, just not only to watch him play, but to uh, deal with him. He was a really good guy to deal with, and I know the people over there who were there at the time, people who have moved on, you know, like Billy, can say nothing but great things about him. And so I'm happy for him. He's a great ambassador for the University of Florida. Do I think he's worth that? I don't. I don't deal with uh, what guys are worth in terms of because I don't know all the dynamics of everything, especially with salary caps and stuff. I don't think he's one of the fifteen best players in the NBA, and that sounds like you would have to be to get that kind of money. But he's a really, really good player, and I enjoy watching him play. When he was here. He got hot from three in the NCAA tournament. Florida went all the way to Phoenix that year, played in the Elite Eight, lost to Louisville, and had a 10-point lead with 10 minutes to go. Lost to Louisville. Uh, Was it Chance or Chase Bahannon? Killed him that day late in the game. Never forget that game. Anyway, Bradley Beal got hot from three in the tournament, and he – I remember he hit a three from, well, beyond NBA range – and I, I literally was sitting in my seat, and I just went, cha-ching. Somebody said, what do you mean? I go, this guy's about to make a lot of money in the NBA because we've already seen what he can do, slashing, driving, dunking. Now he's knocking down threes like crazy. Watch out. He's going to make a lot of money, and he did. And now he's really making a lot. And the other thing is, apparently, he's got a player option. If he doesn't, and again, I get, I get lost in some of this stuff. If he doesn't take the player option, he can sign a max deal, which is going to be like $8 billion. Good for him. Good for him. Let's bring him back here and name something after him and get his money. <laughs> All right, finally, 
I saw this today, and uh, they said targeting is down 32% in the first seven weeks of college football. And Rogers Redding, who is the head of the official, said, well, we're not sure exactly why. I know why. You put in a new edict where targeting really had to be proved or proven. I mean, it was no more. I think that's targeting. I'm throwing a flag. They're not. They're going to let it stand because they're not 100% sure it wasn't. And that was, hap- was what was happening in college football. And guys are getting ejected, and it probably wasn't right. You want to take targeting away. But what you're seeing more – is um, got either getting overturned or not called, and then a guy will review it because everything's reviewed. You look at it and you go, "Yeah, I don't think that was targeting." You got to launch, got to be crowning your head. There's got to be tent. You've got to you've got to have written a letter saying this is I'm going to try to target this guy. You have to have that notarized, and then you move on. Anyway, targeting's down. That's a good thing. Whether the actual act of targeting is down is debatable but the the numbers are down so uh hopefully guys are are learning what you can and can't do and what you need to do and what you need not to do you don't need to tackle anybody with the crown of your helmet they're not doing it to punish you they're doing it because it's wrong and it will hurt you and it will hurt them stop doing it i know sometimes in in the course of action you have no choice you you just you react you maybe you had a coach who taught you to tackle that way whatever but at least it's down, and that's the positive. And the other positive is that's going to do it for the Duly Noted Podcast. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Thanks again to Andy Staples for coming on from The Athletic. We'll be back again Tuesday with another one of these. They're called podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast. That's exactly what it's called. All right, we're, I'm going to get out of here, and I appreciate everybody for clicking on. Wish us good luck getting up to and from back from lovely South Carolina. Should be a fun trip. Till next time, Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep, I am way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's or order at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also the humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.